From him who stands firm in the heavenly places, reigning there for you, so that you may stand firm through all the trials and tests and troubles of this world, all the way until the end. From him be all grace and mercy and peace. Amen. Our text for this morning is our gospel lesson, that last sentence of Jesus where he says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. This is our text. This very structure, this very building in which we sit this morning has been sitting on this property now for nearly 40 years, more than 40 years. In fact, all these buildings of this complex have been here for nearly 60 years now. This is the place where God has delivered to countless people the forgiveness of sins through the preaching of his word, by the baptizing of people, both young and old alike, and through the celebration of God's incredible supper of love. This is the place where couples have pledged their lives to each other when they got married. It's the place where some have said their final farewells to their loved ones. This is the place where little children have learned their ABCs and one, two, threes, where they have learned about the commands of God and about the promises of God. This is a blessed place where God delivers his love, his word, his forgiveness. But I wonder, I wonder what would happen if all of this went away tonight. I wonder what would happen if suddenly this building would burn down or if a hurricane would come through and knock it down. I've been thinking a little bit about this as I saw that earlier this summer, the mother church, the Lutheran mother church in my hometown in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, that was built in the late 1800s, was burned. They were able to salvage the bones of the structure and they're going to try to rebuild it, but it's going to be a long, long process. I wonder what would happen if that would happen here. I wonder how many of us would wonder whether God had abandoned us or what lesson he was trying to teach us. We would most certainly, definitely be forced in a circumstance like that, in a situation like that, to contemplate and to consider and to to live out what it really means to be and to remain and to stand firm in the Lord. The great preacher Frederick Buechner once said this, really interesting quote, maybe the best thing that could happen to the church would be for some great tidal wave of history to wash it all away. The church buildings tumbling, the church money all lost, the church bulletins blowing through the air like dead leaves, the differences between preachers and congregations all lost too then all we would have left would be each other and Christ, which was all there was in the first place. Maybe I should just stop preaching right now. I'm tempted to, but I won't. Many years after the destruction of the great first temple that the the people of God built in the Old Testament, it was rebuilt under the direction of King Herod, 
Now, Herod was a builder of epic proportions. In fact, if you go to Israel today, you will be able to see the signature of his ego all around the nation of Israel. He built these great and incredible structures. He rebuilt the temple itself and expanded the stone platform on which the temple was built, on which it stood, to this great platform that equaled the size of 24 football fields. It was a massive, incredible place. Seven layers of his stones are still exposed today, and you can see them if you walk up there or if you look at this picture at the Great Wailing Wall, the Western Wall it's called. It's the base, the foundation of the structure where the temple stood. And they've also unearthed a great staircase on the corner of one of the structures. And, and as you stand there, you can really picture the people of God coming from all over the ancient world, climbing up those steps to get ready to celebrate the Passover or one of the great feasts of God. Well, this incredible structure had just been finished a couple of years. It was a brand new shining place when Jesus and his disciples arrived that year for Passover. And no wonder the disciples are in awe. One of them comes out of that building or looks at it and says, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones, what massive building, what an incredible place. And Jesus brings it down right away and says, not one of these stones will be left standing on one another. Every one will be thrown down. And not many years later, that's exactly what happened. What an incredible catastrophe they're contemplating it must have been to have lost that magnificent temple once again. They knew that as long as they could see that structure, God must still be present with his people. But if they would lose that temple again, God's people would wonder whether God had abandoned them. Jesus saw through the facade of that incredible structure, of that incredible place. The temple now only pretended to be the house of God at the time of Jesus. Those who ran it and had oversight over it turned God's gracious presence of that place into a place where now only good works could save. Jesus knew that it would take much more than a beautiful temple to get rid of all the corruption that was surrounding and infiltrating that place. What a tragedy it must have been for him as he stood there and looked at it. So right there in the middle of the text, Jesus walks down the hill from the temple into the Kidron Valley where there's a small river and back up the other side to the Mount of Olives, which you see pictured here. He stands firm there. And teaches his disciples. He reminds his disciples that even though the victory would one day be complete, there would still be trials and troubles and tears in this life. And the disciples certainly faced their fair share of them after Jesus ascended into heaven. But as Jesus stood there standing opposite the temple, he spoke of how it actually might be a good thing for the temple to be destroyed and to have it replaced with a new and mighty temple for God's people that could never be destroyed. He would build that new temple with his own blood and sweat and tears, with his own life and death and resurrection. 
Sometimes I wonder, like Frederick Buechner, if, if the church would be better off if all the peripherals, if all the outside stuff would go away. Programs and policies and overhead and budgets are all merely a means to an end. Sometimes they make us miss the point of what we're doing or of what God is doing in our midst. And then we run into the, the terrible stuff of life and wonder what we do. Now, we might not be dragged in front of judges like the apostles were, but we still live in a hostile environment as Christians today. Every day we battle against our own flesh and blood. We fight urges and temptations. We war against Satan and against his empty promises. The world around us wants to press us into its mold, and we are far too often willing to let it do just that. And so instead of standing firm, you and I are prone to wander, to wander away from God, to wander away from his gifts. There will be wars and rumors of wars and skirmishes and battles, not just in the outside world, but right here in the midst of our own bodies, souls, and spirits. But there is good news and there is strength and there is hope in Jesus. He, he tells us clearly today and in the text that the end is still to come. That life in this world is limited. That there will be an end to our lives and to this world. But first, but first he says, the gospel must be proclaimed and preached to the entire world. If you think about it, it's really good news that one of the signs of the end is that there will be an incredibly widespread preaching of the gospel before the end comes. One of the signs marking the end of the world, Jesus says, is, is actually a positive one, not a tragic one. This reminds us that God has not given up and he never will give up on a world that's gone haywire, on a world that's gone crazy. His desire is as strong as ever to see to it, to carry out his will that all people would be saved. And so isn't it reassuring to know that among all the evils, all the tragedies, all the troubles that happen in this world, God's grace and forgiveness will still prevail. And our God will have the last word. Isn't it reassuring to know that as we heard read in our epistle lesson this morning, that he who promised is faithful, faithful to the end. But more than that, like that disciple, look at those magnificent stones. Look at that wonderful building. The disciple who said that was, of course, speaking about the temple that they were looking at that day in, in Jerusalem. But even closer to that disciple that day was another more massive, more magnificent stone, the very temple of God himself the person he was talking to, Jesus, the chief cornerstone. This was the temple that could never be destroyed. 
Remember what Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I will build it back up again. And that's what he did. He said that of himself and he meant it. And when that temple was crucified and buried, it was not destroyed. That temple rose again on the third day, standing firm outside the tomb, alive to live forever. And that temple still stands. In the vision of heaven, John says, I saw no temple there, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. So how do we stand firm to the end? How do we stand firm in the midst of a world that's gone crazy? How do we stand firm when we have those battles, those temptations, those urges and struggles inside of ourselves? Well, it might not look like much, at least not to the people of the outside world, but this, this is the temple that we count on. This is the place where God promises to be present and where God is truly present. He is the one who makes this place at 351 Ascension Drive his temple. And not only that, but he even abides in us. He makes our own bodies to be his temple. He is present for us here as the indestructible cornerstone as he provides for us and delivers to us and gives to us in abundance his forgiveness and his mercy and and his strength through his mighty word and his holy sacraments. And so with the promises and the presence of Christ, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Paul reminds us that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are, God says, his chosen people. We are his elect. He has made us his own by tearing down the temple and by building it up once again with his body, with his righteous life and death and resurrection. God never has, he never does, and he never will abandon or forsake his people. Church buildings and church programs and church servants may come and go, but Jesus is forever our rock, our cornerstone, our fortress, our salvation. And in him, we will stand firm and endure to the end. In Jesus' name, amen.